So hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. Today, we're joined by Anne Bouchot, who will be reading to us from her book, The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, a child-centered solution to co-parenting during separation and divorce. And thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here. So we're going to jump right in, and I'm just going to ask, what led you to write the book? Uh, it's a great question, because I think most writers don't have things happen in this way. So I'm a psychologist and I do a blog. And sometime way back in like 2014, I wrote a blog about nesting, bird nesting, which I really um, advocate for and work with my clients around uh, ways to have better divorces. Um, Somehow or other, Simon and Schuster saw that blog and wanted a book. So they contacted me and asked me to write the book. And so this was a work for hire project. It was different than if I'd sat down and wrote a novel and then tried to sell it. So I was really fortunate. I knew it was going to be published. They asked me to put together a proposal, which I did. And um, the whole process took about a year. That's really lovely, though, because one, you know, you hear about that happening, but it's really nice to know, like, okay, actually, it really does happen. It really does happen to real people. And just that process of it, because I don't, I didn't think when they approach you for one, I didn't think they then ask you for a proposal. I thought it would be that they, you know, they have it in mind and then they're just like, okay, fly, butterfly, fly. And then you you write and you come back and say, here's the book that you asked for. So it's really interesting that it's, it's not quite in that way. Yeah, and I had not ever published a book before, but I'm pretty prolific with blogging. And that what they picked up on, and this was probably their marketing department, is that nesting or bird nesting was sort of a trending topic. And there was nothing out there about bird nesting for parents. Um, there's a some there was some media, you know, some newspaper articles that mostly were pretty negative on the subject. So they wanted something that would actually be helpful and positive. And since I'm an advocate, they came to me and I like to write. So it worked out well. Oh, that's wonderful. Could we hear a bit from the book, please? Of course. So I'm thinking that a lot of people still don't know what bird nesting is. So I thought I'd read a little bit about what nesting is. So nesting is an arrangement where children stay in the family home when parents rotate in and out for their scheduled parenting time. So as an aside, this is for parents considering separation or divorce and may already be separated or divorced. The term comes from a comparison with bird nests where the babies stay in the nests and the parents come in and out of it, caring for the babies. Nesting looks different for every family and the most successful nesting arrangements are carefully personalized. Nesting parents work out clear and written agreements about communication, schedules, parenting, and finances tailored to their situation. What every nesting arrangement has in common is the goal of reducing conflict and providing a consistent, stable home for the children while the marital status is in flux. In some cases, nesting is used as a transition between marriage and divorce. And in other cases, it is used as a temporary separation while partners work through marital or personal problems. Some people call themselves a partners since they are parenting together but aren't romantically involved. A stable schedule is one of the cornerstones of nesting. You and your spouse would alternate being in the home with your children on an agreed upon schedule that is clear, ideally in writing. 
the on-duty parent stays in the home with their children, and the off-duty parent is usually at another location. It's crucial to create a predictable schedule for your children that helps them feel secure, although some flexibility in this schedule is also important. For example, the schedule may include some flexibility to allow each parent to meet their work schedules, but overall, the system should be as consistent as possible. When you schedule this on and off duty time so carefully, you will have time to adjust to being a single parent and everyone, including your children, will know who's on duty. So what does the on-duty parent do? When you're the on-duty parent, you care for your children. This includes getting your children up in the morning, getting them to school, picking them up if they need that, making sure they get to their extracurricular activities or doctor's appointments, helping them with their homework, if any, and making sure they have a good dinner and get to bed on time. When parents are nesting, the on-duty parent is also responsible for the house, the laundry and repairs, or if the pantry needs to be restocked. So what does the off-duty parent do? When the on-duty parent turns over the responsibility of the children to the other parent, according to the schedule you've created, he or she goes off-duty. The off-duty parent leaves all the parenting to the on-duty parent and normally doesn't come into the home or the child's life without prior agreement. For example, you can decide whether the off-duty parent would be welcome at a family event or an extracurricular activity, say a soccer game or a school play. So the off-duty parent is freed from parental duties unless otherwise agreed to. For example, if the on-duty parent is unavailable during any point during his or her on-duty time, that parent might get the off-duty parent an option to step in. If the off-duty parent isn't available, the on-duty parent is responsible for finding alternate care. So where does the off-duty parent live? There are many options for parents' personal living arrangements when they're not staying in the family home. When they're off-duty, parents can live in the following. They might be in separate areas within the home, for example, an in-law apartment or another bedroom. They might be in an off-site residence they share. For example, the off-duty always uses it, but it could be an apartment. They could have separate apartments or houses, or they could stay with homes of friends or family. Obviously, many factors play into determining which living situation works best for your family. You know, it's really interesting because it does sound really quite practical and not like theoretical. So it sounds like something that people could you know, sit down and kind of work through you know, as you would hope a guy would be, but sometimes I feel like they're often, you know, theoretical, like this is how parenting could work. Whereas yours sounds like, look, here are some realistic steps that you and you both can do today. So you went from blog to book. And so I'm really curious about how you did go about creating the guide and what sort of research you did and what that research process might've been like. Well, you know, in essence, I've done the research for the last almost 30 years, because when I got divorced back in 1993, my ex-husband and I nested for 15 months, but we had no clue how to do it. We had no idea what we were doing. So it was sort of the school of hard knocks, figuring things out as we went along. And there were some pretty hard lessons. And I learned a lot about how nesting can succeed, but also what can make it fail. And I really wanted in this book to give people what they need to know in order to succeed, because there are plenty of stories of failure out there, mostly because people don't know how to predict 
the pitfalls and the risks and the places where things can just go wrong. I could imagine going into the situation not knowing and thinking like it's so good that we're working on this together and so this means it's going to work without thinking about things like what happens if there's a doctor's appointment or a birthday party or like you said a family event um a soccer game and something that you know most both parents would want to go to and you don't necessarily think about those in advance or even if you do without talking about those in advance i could see one person coming you know assuming of course i'm welcome and then the other person being quite surprised when that happens but my goodness even things like dating um the, <laughs> there's so many conversations that um i mm -hmm. would imagine that reading them in advance mm -hmm. it opens up those opportunities to think through okay what would happen in this situation wow i hadn't even thought about that one but even like you talked about maintenance on the house like so if the pipe bursts and your kids your duty on you wouldn't necessarily think about that in advance. That's right. And that's the thing about being, most people haven't nested before, so they can't possibly predict all the, and I can't even predict all the different ways that things could go wrong. But the dating question is actually a really important one because that's an area that really can mess things up. And one of the nesting um, stories that I tell is about a woman who came home and found a used condom in the bedroom which pretty much ended the nesting. Um, but the problem was that she and her husband had not talked about whether they would be dating and whether they would be dating on their on-duty time or off-duty time. They hadn't talked about sleepovers when the children were present and so on. So the, the message that I keep coming back to is you have to talk through these hard subjects and document them and make sure that both people commit to that agreement. And if they do, then if, if both parents agree, okay, we're not going to expose our kids to casual dates or sleepovers, it's great. It's better for the kids. And then nobody gets blindsided with some sort of shocking revelation. Like, you know, there was another woman in the house when I went from here. I could imagine that being, because then like, that brings all these other things. So are we introducing the kids to this other person already? And or when is that timing? And there's things that I think that you just don't know that you want to know or don't yeah. know that you need to know until, yeah, you're coming home and somebody else is answering the door. And it's yeah. like, I could imagine that being like, it's over now. So I, I love the idea of there being, um, one, I think it's definitely good to have those conversations because like you said, if you don't know how to do it or even how not to do it, then you might go in just unsure and unprepared. So it seems like a great opportunity for people to either read it separately or together. Although if you're already going through a separation, you probably don't want to read a book together. But if, you know, if one of them is armed with these questions, then ideally they can talk them through. Would that be something a mediator helps them Yes, of course, a mediator would be helpful. And people sometimes, you know, think that they can't nest because their communication is so bad. And a mediator can help with the communication. And really, if people can put their children ahead of their own emotional state, if they can love their children more than they hate their soon-to-be ex, then, um, then they can do this successfully. It's the people who can't let go of their own emotions um, and prioritize the children that are going to have a hard time with nesting. Mm. So yeah, a mediator would be very would be very helpful. Could we have another reading, please? Sure. So you know, one of the things that 
you're alluding to when you talk about dating and, and communication is the idea of having a co-parenting plan. So I thought I'd read a little, a little bit about a co-parenting plan, because whether you nest or not, eventually you do need to have a way to co-parent your children. Um, your children need two parents, and they need frequent and continuing contact with both parents, uh, unless there's really compelling reasons why they shouldn't. So once you know that nesting might be a good fit for you and your partner, it's time to focus on how to co-parent together. Co-parenting is a process where two parents, partner, to raise a child, even though they're divorced or separated and do not live together. Given the fact that you and your partner probably won't spend much time together once you start nesting, working out a co-parenting plan ahead of time will help you work out points of contention, anticipate problems, and present a united front to your children. The parenting plan serves as a record of parenting decisions, what to do when future disagreements arise while nesting and afterwards, protecting your children from the stress of parental strife. So we start with your mission or vision statement that will help guide your decisions, agreements, and behaviors. And then we move on to making specific decisions about the kids' lives. Writing down this plan will help you keep everything organized, and this chapter will walk you through the process step by step. The plan is not set in stone. You and your partner may need to revise it and tailor it to your family's needs. This plan is very comprehensive, but it's well worth your time and effort because it provides a strong foundation for your co-parenting during and after nesting. If you move on to divorce, your parenting plan revised in some ways is necessary may be filed with the court along with the final divorce paperwork or marital settlement agreement. So managing different co-parenting styles, you and your partner might have had different co-parenting styles while you were a couple. That's a very common situation. While nesting, these differences can create confusion if you aren't clear about your overall parenting strategy. Now that you and your spouse will have new roles as single parents, Working in tandem and coordinating your parenting when possible, communication about your parenting styles is paramount. Finding common ground in parenting styles can be a challenge, but many couples are able to achieve it. As you start the nesting process, think of you and your partner on a continuum that describes how often you would like to coordinate with your co-parent on parenting choices. At one end of this continuum is the 100% co-parenting style which describes parents who want to work closely together in all aspects of parenting. They want to agree about everything from bedtime routines, chores, discipline, screen time, whether the child can have a cell phone or an allowance, and what TV shows are acceptable. You might see yourself near that end of the continuum because you believe that consistency in child rearing is very important, and you believe it will be easier for your children when both parents have the same rules and expectations. You will have to communicate a lot if this level of consistency is your goal. On the other end of the spectrum are parents who want more of a firewall between them. Those parents want as little contact as possible with their spouse, perhaps because they feel they will get triggered every time they communicate. They may see their ex as intrusive or controlling, or they might, like, they might believe that they will minimize fighting if they're not trying to agree on every little thing. Generally, you will have to communicate less often with your partner if you're on this end of the spectrum, but most people fall somewhere between these two extremes. 
While it's possible to nest no matter where you fall in the continuum, it's important to know where you stand so you can manage your expectations. Will you come to an agreement on all choices or will the information and communication be you, between you and your spouse be reduced to what you see as the bare minimum required to make nesting work? Really interesting questions. And what's something that you learned either about parenting, about being parented, about children, about yourself, but something that you learned while writing the book? It's a, such a great question. I think, uh, I think I learned that overcoming your own emotional sort of overwhelm, what we call the amygdala hijack, is so hard for parents in the very earliest stages of separation and divorce. And this is when the decisions about nesting and how they will have a divorce have to be made. So in the begin so what i learned is in talking to people about what's making this so difficult i have to talk to them a lot about self care and about slowing the process down when people are facing a divorce sometimes they just want to rush right into it you know rip that bandaid off fast and it turns out that's not the best way to do it so working with people to take care of themselves first to try to get their emotions under control, to try to come to a place where they can make decisions with their rational brain rather than with their emotional brain. Um, this will allow them to prioritize their children and keep their lives, the children's lives stable and consistent and keep their routines consistent. So I think that's that's part of what I learned. I also like though the, the self-care through it because it, it is such an emotional time. And I don't know that people go that you know when you're going through a divorce I don't know that you, I don't think I know going through mine I didn't think about self-care it was just like this is what I need to do and this is you know what needs to, it was kind of like need driven but it was yeah. not like sort of um I never sat there and said when and how do I take care of me and, and when do I take care of me or who takes care of me and you know emotionally so I love that advice for people to like to take that moment to slow down to to care for themselves just as they would care for someone else so that they can care for someone else. Right. Especially the children. Yeah. Yeah. How lovely. Yeah. The legal process is so painful for most people, but divorce, you know, I like to say divorce is only 5% legal. It's 95% emotional. So it's really important to deal with the, the emotional pain and the changes that you're facing and all of the unknowns that lie ahead before you really get into a legal a legal process and then choose a legal process that is um, going to bring peace to your family, not one that's going to destroy your family. So I really advocate for a collaborative divorce or mediation. And I don't work with people who are litigating anymore because of the damage that I see that it causes. Wow. You know, could we have our final reading, please? Of course. So in terms of, you know, facing the future, right, that's, it is normal to feel overwhelmed by life's changes. When you're nesting, you're probably processing how your marriage came to this juncture. While caring for your children, you'll also need to cope with all of your emotions, from rage to grief, from fear to hope or from guilt to relief. You may feel exhausted or you may feel re-energized. There's no way to predict what you will be feeling and how you will work through the emotions. 
There's also no timetable for getting through the emotions. Your emotions will be complicated and it will take a while to feel calm enough to make good decisions about the future of your marriage. Nesting will give you that time so that you can decide what comes next with composure and clear thinking. Maybe you're thinking about what went wrong and what would need to change in order to reconcile. You may be reflecting on your own behavior and decisions during the marriage and wondering if you can repair your mistakes. You may be identifying what it is that you want and need in your relationship and from your partner. You may have begun counseling with your spouse with the goal of determining the future of your marriage. You may have sought help from a therapist to clarify your own feelings and thoughts. Your day-to-day -day emotional life might feel different as well, in addition to the logistical changes you've made related to separation and nesting. You may have a hard time keeping track of your days and schedule. Their time may feel like it has slowed down or sped up. You may feel lost or question your spiritual faith. You wonder when you will get your energy back, and you will. With all of these emotions, it shouldn't be a surprise that you may find it difficult or impossible to concentrate or to get anything done. You feel forgetful and wonder if you're losing your mind. You may obsess about what is happening and feel unable to focus on anything. You may pull away from friends and family, isolating yourself, then feeling deep loneliness. On the other hand, you might throw yourself into something that distracts you from your feelings, such as work or a new relationship. This may be exciting and lighten your mood. Your life has been changed in many ways you're only starting to realize, and it's all right to feel confused about where you stand. Struggling with a sense of betrayal, another part of you may be enraged with your spouse and with the world. There may be even physical changes as well. You may be unable to relax, feeling rested, restless and agitated. You may experience a loss or increase in appetite, depleted energy levels, troubled sleep, headaches, stomach aches, or be more prone to catching a cold or an infection. I could read a little story about a client here. Is that okay? Of course. Clancy, who's not his real name, grew up in a poor family, but had built his own successful business and was proud of his successes. He later married a wealthy woman with a trust fund and they raised children. Clancy looked forward to spending more time with his wife now that the kids were in high school. When their marriage ended, Clancy couldn't understand why his wife wanted this divorce. He was haunted by images of living in a basement room with no windows. He couldn't eat or sleep, and he began to miss work due to his exhaustion. His soon-to-be ex-wife recognized that he was deeply depressed and wanted to reassure him. She often told him that she would never allow him to become destitute. This was not only because she genuinely cared about his welfare, but also because of their children who would be upset to see their father living in poverty. This outcome was very different from Clancy's imagined destitution. His wife's compassion and verbal reassurances were helpful, and her generosity in the final settlement through a collaborative divorce process did begin to restore his hope for the future. When I checked in with them a year after their divorce, they had just returned from a family vacation with their two teenaged children. Clancy was living in a comfortable home near his ex-spouse and had been able to rebuild his business as he recovered from his depression. So the book is full of case uh, examples. So I wanted to make sure I read at least one. I think that's really lovely because, you know, sometimes you do... Um, I think it's one thing to be told, you know, this, 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 and 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 the the steps, but to also see how it works in practice and how you know 
someone has dealt with this or um, hearing about one person's um, challenges or questions or fears that really might tap into yours as a reader or tap into things you hadn't thought about. And so I do feel like that, that was such a nice touch to, to add those stories because sometimes we need those stories. Yep. And success stories and also stories of how things can go wrong. So, and also how things can go wrong, but be repaired. So I've had clients where, you know, the partners didn't keep an agreement that they had in their parenting plan, but they were able to repair with a good apology, with being able to let go of anger, being able to compromise, whatever it took, because the nesting was important to them. And that's really good too, because I would imagine that it ideally that's people who are listening think like, um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Or if you make a mistake or someone makes a mistake, it doesn't have to be the end, but repair is possible. Yeah. And it's not easy. I mean, even with the guide, I will never say, oh, it's easy to do this. It's work. And it's every day. It's keeping your children front and center every day. And that's how you can make nesting work. Mm. And some people will nest for a short time, you know, the end of the school year or until the house is sold. And some people, I've interviewed people who nested for more than seven or eight years. And there's a whole chapter in the book that of an interview with a family that nested for six and a half years. Wow. That's <laughs> incredible. Um, so where can we buy the parent's guide to bird nesting? So um, where most books are sold, obviously Amazon or through Simon and Schuster's website, and also through my website, which is www.drdrannbus.com. CHO.com, DrAnnBouchot.com, and other places as well. Oh, that's great. And thank you so much for being our guest, for reading to us, and for talking to us about the book and for writing the guide. And thank you so much for having me. And I hope that people find this interesting and will share it with their friends who are maybe facing divorce or separation. That sounds wonderful. 